0: if you have your bibles please turn to flip to scroll to press first samuel chapter 16 first samuel chapter 16 if you're wondering where first samuel is it's in your first half of the bible it's called the old testament we're in first samuel chapter 16 today our theme here at thrive this year is all for one name. It's the idea that whether you have been you know, a Christian for a really long time, or you're just figuring out Christian, you're just starting to explore, it, or you're just, got, you're just even newer than that. You're just saying, I don't think I'm a Christian. I, I think I'm just kind of exploring. I have a question. I'm here to let you know today. Is that the reason God placed you on this planet, the reason you got breath in your lungs, is ultimately for one purpose. It's that you would live all for one name. His name is Jesus. And why is that? It's because Jesus did something that no one else in history has done. Whereas many people have preached their philosophies. Many people have started religious movements. There is only one who got on a cross and died on that cross for our sins to bring us back to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus gave his all for us, the Bible says in response, we wanna give our all for his one name, Jesus. Now, how do we being imperfect, foul, sometimes foolish, sometimes selfish people. How do we live all for one name? That's what we're here to unpack throughout this year. And as part of that, to help us do that, we're going through the book of First Samuel in the Old Testament. And we're not just doing this on Sundays. We're actually doing this every day. Everyone say every day. And if you want to join us in that, what you can do, is really easy. Go to mythrive.info, subscribe for Pastor JB's Game Time Sharing. What we'll do is every morning we'll send you a passage from the book of First Samuel that you can read, that you can think about. And in case you're not really sure what to learn from it, I'll share with you my thoughts on that passage. I'll pray a little prayer with you. And it's just a way for us as a church community to walk through the Bible together. And we can't wait to do that throughout this coming week and into next month as well. But are you guys ready for today's message? Let's get into it right now. See, let me share with you a story that I've never shared before, except at our 930 service, all right? And that is this, is once when I was in grade 12, last year of high school, I tried out for a sports team. It was the high school rugby team. Rugby was a huge sport in our school, kind of like football, but without the pads. And I can remember trying out for the team, and there were two teams. There was the A team. And there was the B team. There's the A team where all the best athletes played. And there was the B team where not the best athletes played. And so I tried out for both teams. I tried out. And remember, you know, we all gathered into one room after the tryouts. And I can't really remember what the coaches said that day. All I remember is that they put two sheets of paper on the wall. One said A, the other said B, and both had lists. And I went up to the A list. And I'm like, my name is not there. And then I go to the B list. And I'm like... My name is not here either. I didn't make either team. I didn't make even the B team. And there was that part of me that was a little disappointed. Everyone go, ah. A little disappointed. All those that part of me that kind of saw it coming and fast forward just a few weeks later, we're in this school assembly. It is school spirit day at my high school. You got hundreds of students in this assembly and they've got this obstacle course set up just for fun. And they want to pick one student in the school to go through the obstacle course. Guess who got picked? I got picked to go through this obstacle course. I'm like, what? And so what happens? It's a silly obstacle course. You know, you start with having this bat that you put at your forehead and you kind of spin around this way a bunch of times. And you're blindfolded. You grab a basketball. You throw it at a hoop. And then you have to go through these bunch of guys who are holding these pillows. And you have to run right through them. And I went through that whole obstacle course. And I was huffing and puffing. At the end of that assembly, one of the coaches of the rugby team pulls me aside and says, we'd like to put you on the B team. I'm like, because of that? Are you serious? And I was like, you know what? Fine, I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll do it. It was a great day for me because I felt like I was being promoted to the B team. And by God's grace, I played on the B team that season. In that first game, I even scored. It was the only time I ever scored. And it was so fun. But see, why do I mention this moment when I was cut from a team? And then in this very unlikely way, I'm promoted to that team. It's because today the message i'm here to share with you is called preparing for your next promotion preparing for your next promotion turn neighbor and say get ready for your next promotion Amen. see today we're looking at a passage in first samuel where god promotes someone very unlikely to become the king of israel and in looking at this passage, we're going to learn something about the kind of person that God loves to promote. And whether you're a student in this place, or you're working in the marketplace, or you're running your own business, or you're a stay-at-home parent, or you're retired today, I'm here to tell you something today, is that God has a promotion waiting for you if you will take to heart and apply the lessons we're going to talk about today. So are you guys ready? Let's get into it right now. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 says this. Read it in a big, loud voice. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So what's going on? See, 1 Samuel 16 begins with a really depressing note, is that Samuel, he's a prophet, and he is depressed. He is heartbroken. He is in a really tough place emotionally. It's because Samuel, he had anointed a guy called Saul to be the king of Israel. But in just a very short period of time, Saul makes a bunch of different bad decisions, fails as king, and now God says, okay, enough is enough. We can't have him continue to be king much longer. We're going to remove the kingship from his family and give it to a man after my own heart, God says. And so Samuel is in a place of huge disappointment. He's in a place of mourning. He's maybe blaming himself a little bit. And he's heartbroken and depressed. How do you know this? Is that when you are heartbroken, when you are depressed, when you are in grief, when you are burnt out, sometimes just making it through the day is a victory on its own. Just getting through the day, not giving up, but just getting through it. Sometimes that in itself is a victory. And I get that. And maybe you're in that place and that's okay. But I'm here to also let you know is this: is that when we're depressed, when we're heartbroken, when we're burnt out, when we're in a really bad place emotionally, God wants to help us get to a better place. And there are three things in particular that God gives to us to help us get through a tough time. And if you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. See, the first thing that God gives to us to help us go through a tough time, is when you're going through a tough time, it helps to think about the cross where Jesus died. You see, the cross where Jesus died is where Jesus suffered more than any other human being has ever suffered or ever will suffer. And it's not because Jesus deserved to suffer. It's because Jesus suffered out of his love for you and for me. The Bible says that each one of us has turned away from God. We've all rebelled against God, done our own things, said, God, to hell with what you want. I'm gonna do things my way. And that attitude called sin separates us from God. Just the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death and separation from God. And because God loved us, didn't wanna be apart from us, He sent Jesus Christ to live the life that met all of God's requirements on our behalf. And then also on our behalf, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty we were supposed to pay. And in so doing, Jesus suffered for us something that we were supposed to suffer so that we wouldn't have to go through it and see nothing I go through. Nothing that I experience in life that's painful. In fact, all the sum of all the pain I will ever experience in life cannot compare to all that Jesus suffered physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually when he died on the cross. And when I think of all that Jesus did on the cross and all that he suffered, you know what happens? It helps me put into perspective the stuff I'm going through today. It helps me to put in perspective, you know what? What I'm going through really doesn't compare to what Jesus went through for me. It also reminds me of God's love for me. If you believe that, say amen. And so if you're in a tough place today, one of the best things you can do is think about the cross where Jesus died. A second thing that God gives us to help us through a tough time emotionally is when you're going through a tough time, get into the Bible. See, the Bible was given to us as a love letter from God to remind us of his love. But even more, you're going to find that the Bible, when you really get it, when you really understand it, when you really know how to use it, it gives hope like nothing else can give hope. It gives rest like nothing else gives rest. It gives insight and perspective like nothing else. It gives you peace that nothing else can give. Wisdom as well. In fact, Romans says, the book of Romans says, everything that was written here in the Bible was written to teach us so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Because God wanted you to live with hope. He gave us his word. and In fact, if you're not really sure how to read God's word, what to do with God's word, then what we're doing this Tuesday is called Thrive Disciple School. We'd love for you to be a part of that as well. That's the second thing that God gives. He gives us his word to encourage us when we're in a tough time. Number three, the third thing that God gives us when we're going through a tough time to help us get to a better place is to spend time with the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible describes God not as this you know, abstract idea or this impersonal, distant, uncaring, indifferent creator God who has nothing to do with us, doesn't want anything to do with us. Rather, the Bible describes God as being a personal God who loves human beings and made you for a relationship with him such that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to make that relationship possible. And the Bible even says that when you place your trust in what Jesus Christ has done, that God gives you his Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you become a God, but it means that you now have a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. We're now spirit to spirit. You have a relationship with God. And see, why do I mention all this? It's because in first Samuel 16, Samuel is depressed. Samuel is heartbroken. And to help Samuel get to a better place, God comes to him with his word and with his Holy spirit. And y'all check this out. First Samuel 16 verse one it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. You know, when I used to live in Taiwan, there was this one phrase that I would often hear in Mandarin, which is jiao, jiao. And what does jiao mean? It literally means add oil. And it's a way to encourage people when they're going through a tough time. Jiao. Everyone say jiao. Wow, your Mandarin's so good for some reason. I don't know why. And, and see, here's the thing is that, you know, when it's funny, because I find it interesting that when Samuel is in a difficult, depressed place, God comes to Samuel and says, Jayo, he says, take oil and fill it, your horn with it. Take that ox horn that you normally use to fill it with water. I want you to fill it with oil. I want you to add oil to this horn and see, you ought to understand in the Bible, Oil is mentioned over 200 times. Not in every case, but in many cases. Oil is a picture. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So, for example, in a few verses that follow that we're going to read, Samuel is going to anoint a guy called David with oil. And it says that from the day that he's anointed with oil, that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. That's not to say that the oil is the Holy Spirit. Or if you want more of the Holy Spirit, please don't go to your kitchen cabinet, open some canola oil, go, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit. Please don't do that. Because it's a symbol, it's a picture of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so when the Lord says to a mourning, heartbroken, depressed Samuel, fill your horn with oil, it's a reminder that when you are in grief, when you are depressed, when you are burnt out, when you are heartbroken, one of the best things you can possibly do is to spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit and be filled up again. Because there's something about the presence of God that brings us back to life in a way that nothing else can. Here's a question for you today. When was the last time you spent quality time in the presence of God? When was the last time? Can you even think of the last time What's a practical step that you can take to experience more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, encouraging you, lifting you up again. You know, when we gather this way on Sundays to worship as a church community, if you're intentional about it, it's a chance to encounter more of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we meet together on Tuesday nights over Zoom for our weekly prayer meeting, if you're intentional about it, it's a chance to encounter the Holy Spirit again. In fact, in two weeks' time, on November the 6th, after our services, we've got something very special happening. It's called our Holy Spirit Prayer Meeting. And you're, oh, that sounds really religious and mystical. Well, it's actually really simple. It's just like what we do here in our services, is that we sing songs, we pray, and we also take time to ask for more of God's Holy Spirit. And amazing things happen every time we do that, and that's happening two weeks from now, and you invited to it as well. The fact is, if you want to learn more about who the Holy Spirit is, what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, then we talk about that all starting this Tuesday at up School. But the point is this, when you are going through a tough time, one of the best and most necessary things that you can do is to fill your horn with oil, i.e. be filled with the Holy Spirit. And see, when I'm at the gas station and I'm filling up my Honda Odyssey with oil or with fuel, for me, it's a little reminder to pray, God, would you fill me up again with your Holy Spirit? Maybe you got your Tesla. You can take your Tesla to the charge station at Richmond Center. And next time you're charging up your car, you can say, God, just as I'm charging up my car, would you empower me again? I need more of your Holy Spirit. You know, when Samuel is told by God, go and fill your horn with oil. I can just imagine Samuel, he's filling up this horn with oil. And just the sight of that oil filling his horn encourages him. It reminds him that though Saul failed, God never fails. That though Saul is on his way out, God is never gonna leave. And that though Saul's reign is coming to an end, god is always reigning and he's always in control and he's writing a greater story oh come on if you believe that would you give god some praise in this place turn your neighbor and say i need more of god's spirit i need more of god's spirit now of course the reason god tells samuel to fill his horn with oil isn't just to encourage samuel it's to anoint the next king his name is david And see, for a moment, I just want you to compare the way that Samuel anoints this new king, David, with the way that Samuel previously anointed the old king, Saul. Look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. What does it say? It says, when God is about to send Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king, God says something to Samuel. He says this. He says, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Stop right there. See, in other words, the people are demanding a king. We want a king. We want to be just like all the other nations, have a human king to lead us in the battle. Give us a king. We want a king. We demand a king. We need a king. And so God finally gives into them. Say, okay, fine. You have been demanding a king. I'll give you a king. Samuel, make them a king. But see, now in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, when God is about to send Samuel to anoint this new king, David, look at what God says to Samuel. It says this. It says, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king. Now, do you get the difference? Do you see that? The first one is make the people a king. The second is I've provided for myself a king. In other words, in the first instance, God is giving a king because he's giving into the people's demand. They're like, they want a king. All right, fine. I'll give them a king. I'll give them the kind of king they want. Someone who's very outstanding from a worldly perspective, who's head and shoulders above everyone else, who's very impressive looking, who's tall like no one else is tall. And so he gives them Saul. But then that doesn't work out. Is that It actually falls flat on its face. That king doesn't last. And as if God, when he's about to anoint the second king, he's like, all right, you guys had it your way. I gave in to your demand. I gave you the kind of king that you wanted and it failed. Now let's do it my way. This time I'm anointing a new king and it's not for you. It's for me. I'm doing, I'm providing it for myself, for my glory and my purposes and my name and my agenda, who has my kind of heart. And see, guess what that is? The lesson there is this. You can ask God to bless you all you want. You can ask God to, you know, you give you this, give you that, and help you have that, help you have this, and accomplish your agenda and your purposes so that you can be successful and you can have a comfortable life and you can be happy and you can make a name for yourself. But guess what? That kind of success will never last. That kind of success is short-lived. It's short-sighted. Alternatively, you can let God say, God, I'm going to let you accomplish your purposes through my life. I want, to use, I want you to use my life, not for my glory, but your glory. It's all for one name. And see, and that kind of success is a greater kind of success that will last forever. And see, that's the first lesson we learned. There's a second one. Look at 1 Samuel 10. When Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of Israel, notice the amount of oil that Samuel uses to anoint Saul. Check this out. Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Would you underline a flask of oil? What's a flask? A flask is a little capsule. It's a little vial. It's just a little tiny bottle that you might carry in your pocket with a little bit of oil, and so he cracks it and he puts it on Saul, and there's a little bit of oil on Saul. But guess what happens in 1 Samuel 16? When God sends Samuel to anoint the next king, David, God tells Samuel this: He says, Fill your horn with oil. This is an ox's horn. It's hollow, it's long, it's very, very big. And he's saying, Fill it all with oil. And pour it oil, pour all that oil on David. Look, 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 look. And see, what is that? Do you remember that oil is a picture? of the presence of the Holy spirit and the work of the Holy spirit in a person's life. And it symbolizes that when David is now coming into the picture and he's going to be anointed King, this is not going to be the same kind of King rather so much more of God's presence. So much more of God's power. So much more of God's favor. So much more of God's blessing is going to be on this King and in his reign as compared to the previous King, what's going on. He's ushering in a brand new era. And see, what does that mean for us today? It's because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, he's called the son of David, not the son of Saul but the son of David. Because many generations later, Jesus will be born in the line of David. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior and your king, when you trust the son of David, Jesus as the one to save you from your sins, like oil drenching all over your head, down your robe, down to your feet, God's spirit is poured upon you. And guess what happens? It ushers in a new era in your life where you get so much more of God's blessing, so much More of God's protection, so much more of God's favor. Oh, come on! Would you give God your praise in this place together right now? Jesus ushers in a new era for us. Turn neighbors, say it's a new era. It's a new era. You see, when God tells Samuel to go to the town of Bethlehem, find a guy called Jesse, and anoint one of his sons as the next king, Samuel is a little reluctant to go. You know why? It's because Saul is still the king. And if Saul found out that Samuel was going somewhere to anoint a new king, well, Saul was going to try to kill Samuel. And so Samuel's like, "Uh, are you sure about this? Uh, What what am I going to do? And so God tells him, okay, go to Bethlehem on the auspices of giving a sacrifice. Go to Bethlehem on the cover, under the cover of you're going there to give a sacrifice. And so that's what Samuel does. When he gets to the people of Bethlehem, he's like, I'm here to give a sacrifice. And see, In the same way, there's a little lesson for us there too, is that we can go on our way without fear, safe and secure, because we are covered by a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice we give. It's a sacrifice that Jesus gave. Amen? Amen? Look at verse 4. It says this. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate, which means set apart. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. All right, so what's going on? Samuel gets to the house of Jesse. They're, Are you here for, un, in peace? Okay, I come in peace. I come to give a sacrifice. And then he says, okay, set apart the people of Jesse's house here. You come with me. And he's like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do a little bit of a, a best in show contest right now. All right. Uh, almost like a beauty pageant is, is, is that we, every one of Jesse's sons are supposed to pass by Samuel. And so Samuel's kind of looking there and almost like on a catwalk, you know, each one of these guys, they start, they start walking, start strutting across. And the first one comes by and Samuel's like, oh, that's impressive. Yeah, he's, he's good. But then God says to him, no, no, no. Don't focus on his appearance or his height. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Okay, not this one. Next one. No. Next one. No, no. Next one. No. Ne- oh, no, 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 no. D- do you have anyone else? All seven of them or seven of the sons pass by. And, and, and he's like, well, do you have anyone else, Jesse? And Jesse says, like, well, we, we got one last guy. He's the youngest of us, but he's, he's in the back. He's taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him in. We're not going to sit down until he's here. And when David walks by, He sees Samuel. Samuel sees him. And God speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one. This is the one. And see, when David was in their presence, in Samuel's presence, what naturally got Samuel's attention was, of course, David's physical appearance. He is ruddy. What does that mean? That's probably having to do something with his skin complexion, that maybe he was a little, maybe, maybe fair-skinned than the other brothers, possibly. Uh, He had a fine appearance. He was handsome. But God was not focused On those things. See, there was something else about David that impressed God. Remember verse 7 the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So there was something about David's heart that attracted God that made God think this guy would make a good king. What was it about David's heart? What was it about David's heart that made God think, I like that guy? See, in the weeks to come, as we look at 1st and 2nd Psalm, you're going to see that David, he's far from perfect. But there's no denying that David had some traits about him that made him the kind of person God loves to promote. And if you want to prepare for your next promotion, then you need to have this trait as well. What is that trait? We're going to talk about a number of traits later on in the weeks to come. But let's talk about one trait right now. The trait is called humility. Everyone say Humility. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 right now. It says this, it says 13, verse 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah, which is Samuel's home. Then verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. Let's just stop there and just kind of unpack what's going on. You know, you've got David. He's anointed with oil by Samuel. And the Bible says that from that day forward, he has the power of God upon him. At the same time, in the next verse, it says that the Holy Spirit has left Saul. And now an evil spirit from God is tormenting him. Does that happen? Does God actually send evil spirits to torment people? You know, in the Old Testament, you got to understand why that verse says it this way. See, In the Old Testament, the mindset of people was that everything, both good and bad, both good and evil, it all comes from God. In a way, they're correct as far as you know, without God, there wouldn't be anything at all. But when you read the New Testament, you're going to find that rather than teaching that everything good and bad is all directly from the hand of God, Jesus comes on the scene. And other New Testament writers, they come on the scene and they start making some definitions and some distinctions here. First, everything good is from God. Every good thing you have in life is from the hand of God. James chapter one says, every good and perfect gift is from heaven above coming from the father of the heavenly lights. Every good thing you have in life, it's from the hand of God. But then when it comes to things that you wouldn't consider good, whether it's sickness or sin or an evil spirit or sending someone to hell, these are not things that God wants as if he likes these things and he wants to give people those things. No, rather these are things that God allows in a world that is broken by sin where people, People are free to make their own choices and often make the wrong, selfish choices and where evil results as a result. It's in a world where there is a fight, a war going on between God's kingdom of light and Satan's kingdom of darkness. It's because of that that you've got evil spirits. Now, does that mean that the Old Testament contradicts the New Testament? No. Rather, you want to think of it this way, is that it's almost like the Old Testament is the cover. It's the wrapper. And underneath it is a more defined idea of who God is and what God does. It's that you've got a more general idea from the Old Testament because the fact is we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't God. But when you unpack the wrapper and you look beneath and you see the New Testament, you'll see that you've got a clearer, more defined, fleshed out picture of who God is. You know that through Jesus. You know that through through the New Testament. It's like seeing someone in person when for a long time you've been just watching a screen. See, God does not actively, intentionally send evil spirits to people. And so in Saul's case, it wasn't like God was playing some weird Halloween trick on Saul. Like, okay, send you an evil spirit torment. God wasn't doing that. Rather, it's because Saul kept rejecting the Holy Spirit. He kept on rejecting the, the presence of God and the work of God in his life, the commands of God that Saul opened the door for other things to start ruling his life. And there's a lesson for us in that too. Is that when we keep rejecting the Holy Spirit, when we keep rejecting what God wants to do in our lives, we give room for other things to take over, whether it's bitterness or it's pride or it's fear, or it's jealousy, or it's greed. That's what was happening with Saul. And so when Saul is tormented by this evil spirit, Saul's attendants, they're like, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do to help Saul? How can we help him feel better? You know what they say? Okay, let's put on some music for him. Let's give him some music therapy. Let's find some musician who plays well so that whenever he's tormented, that this musician can play and he'll feel better. And guess who they find to play the harp for Saul? It's David. It's David. Look at First Samuel 16. It says, One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who's with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. So Saul, he's the current king of Israel. He sends for a musician. He said, like, give me a musician. Give me a lounge singer. Give me a lounge musician to help me feel better. Not knowing that it's David who's been anointed the next king. Doesn't God work in some crazy way sometimes? And see here, notice this, David, he's well-rounded. He's a good musician. He's a brave warrior. He speaks well. He's handsome. He's a shepherd. But what was most impressive about David to God was not his abilities. It wasn't his appearance. It wasn't his talents. It wasn't his experience. It was his heart. And you can see David's heart here in verse 21. Read verse 21 with me. It says, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. What was it about David's heart that God liked? It was David's humility. God loves to promote people with humility humility. You know, in the places where you work, in the place where you study, in the place where you live, I don't know what kind of people people like to promote in those places, but I can tell you, in the kingdom of God, God loves to promote people with humility. Now there's so many different aspects of humility that we can't get into today, but in First Samuel chapter chapter 16, David exemplifies for us really well two important aspects of humility. And if you're taking notes, can you can write this down. What is humility? If humility is one of the biggest keys that that God looks for when he thinks of promoting a person, what is humility? Humility is having a predisposition to serving others all the while being secure in your own worth and value. See, humility is having a predisposition. In other words, it's you lean in a certain direction. It's like, just put yourself in any situation. You just kind of lean that way. Let me just kind of look at it this way. I want you to pretend that, just look up it right now is that leaning back is you being served. Leaning forward is you serving others. When you put a humble person in a room with people, they will naturally, their disposition is not to lean back and say, serve me. Their disposition is not to stand straight and do nothing at all, but their disposition, their natural tendency is to lean forward and say, how can I help? That's what a humble person does. They've got a heart to serve. And they don't need a name tag saying, I'm on the serving team to do it. They just do that because that's just who they are. And see, that was David. See, David has this energy about him in his life where he leaned towards serving others. And you're going to see this over and over and over in David's life is that David's father, Jesse needs a shepherd. And David says, I'll do it. Saul needs a musician. David says, I'll do it. You know, later in 1 Samuel 17, his father Jesse needs an Uber Eats delivery boy to send food to his brothers, and David says, I'll do it. And then Israel needs a warrior to face a giant later on, and David says, let me do it. And see, it's not because David was just trying to pad his resume, and he just wants to get really busy and look really good. It's more than because David was talented. It's because David had a predisposition to serving others. He would serve with all his heart, as conscientiously and responsibly as he could, and people were blessed as a result to the point where Saul's like, that guy's a keeper. And God goes, that guy's a king. It's because David has this predisposition, this disposition to serve. And that's what humble people do is that they lean towards serving. And the reason they serve isn't because they feel insecure or they feel in fear to other people. And so they just kind of you know, serve because they feel so bad about themselves. No, it's because they serve because they're secure. Because they are secure in who they are, and it gives them joy to help other people. See, humble people, they don't serve because they're living to, to, to get other people's approval. They want to you know, pad their resume. They want to please people, and it's all about that. No, people who serve when they're humble, it's because it's an overflow of their relationship with God. And see, humble people, they don't serve only when they're told to serve or when their name is on a schedule, but it's just the way they live. It's the way they are. It's the way of life. It's their mentality. And see, how about you? Are you a humble person? Are you someone who has a disposition to serving others? Is that you're quick to serve others? Or are you quick to be served? You're used to just people serving you. And see, do you serve only when you're told to? Only when you're on a schedule? Or do you serve because that's just your mentality? That's your way of life. And we're going to learn today that you know humility is not one of those things where you either have it or you don't have it. It's humility is one of those it's a character trait that we can develop with practice. And so let me ask this question. In your home, are you someone who's known for serving or more known for being served? You know, outside of your formal job or study or serving role in church, are you known as someone who serves or more someone who is being served? When you're invited to someone's house, do you come as someone to be served or do you come and say, you know, can I help with anything like uh, anything I can help with? Or you just kind of start doing stuff because you are there to serve. See, I'm not saying that you can never rest. I'm not saying you never sit back and enjoy yourself. I'm not saying that, you know what? You have to burn yourself out serving all the time. No, we all need rest. We all need to learn to manage our resources wisely. But the question is, what is your disposition? What do you lean toward? Because humble people, you put them in a room, their disposition is, how can I help? What can I do? You don't need to tell me before and I just do it because that's what humble people do. Jesus, he was predisposed to serving. When his disciples were like, oh, get this crowd away, man. It's late. Everyone's hungry. Send them off. Jesus, he says, let's give them something to eat. He's predisposed to serving. See, Matthew 20, 25 says this. It says, read it with me. It says, so Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the son of man has done. He came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. Get this, is that when you have a heart to serve, you know what happens is that When you serve others conscientiously, passionately, you reflect a bit of Jesus to the people around you. You give them a little sense of God's hope, God's blessing, God's peace. And if you want to lead people in your workplace, your school, your home, your family to Jesus, don't come to them as someone who just judges everybody. Come to them as one who serves, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus served us in ways that we could never serve ourselves, and that's why we serve. It's because Jesus proved our worth and our value on the cross when he stretches his arms out on a cross and said, this is how much I love you. And in the wake of the cross, we can say, because God loves me, I can bend down and serve others. Not just to please them, not just to pat a resume, not just to look good, but because the one who gave His all for me, I'm giving my all to him by serving. Amen? That's what humble people do. And that kind of attitude that David had is what attracted David to God. And see, let me tell you, it's no wonder God loves to promote people with a heart to serve. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Would you read it with me? It says, all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. You know, it's with that in mind, since humility is not just something you have or you don't have, but it's something you can build into your life, something you can practice with the help of the Holy Spirit, then I want to give you an opportunity, all of us, to do something to practice some humility, to practice serving. It's this Sunday at Trunk or Treat. What's the vision of Trunk or Treat? It's to provide a safe and fun event for kids and families next weekend to be a part of, to reach out to our city and be a light in our city. And there's all sorts of different ways that you can get involved. For example, you know, at Trunk or Treat, there's gonna be a bunch of car trunks where they're gonna be decorated and people are gonna hand out candy to the kids. And, you know, if you want, you can host a trunk. You can decorate your car, hand out treats. We're looking right now for 10 more trunks for that particular day. Another one is you can host an activity booth is that we're going to have activity booths for different families to come and play interactive games. We want... 15 more booths to accommodate the number of people that we're now expecting. Another thing is, with such a big crowd coming to Trunk or Treat, we're gonna need a big group of volunteers to help make sure that our guests are well taken care of. And so, our team right now is looking for about 35 volunteers to take care of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have registered for this event. Another one is, we've got a bake sale going on for Backpack Buddies. If you're someone who loves to bake or you're good at baking, you can donate your baked goods and it's gonna raise funds for this really good charity. Another one is, if you're not really sure, if you can help in any of those above ways, you can also support financially. Go to mythrive.info to give or to sign up for any one of these serving opportunities. Turn a neighbor and say, it's time to practice humility. It's time to practice humility. In the most practical way, we get to do that next week, and I encourage you to make the most of it. That's what David did. Is that he's using his time, his talents, his opportunities to serve God. That's him that's got a humble heart, his disposition to serve others. That's one aspect of humility. Let's look at the one last aspect before we close today. See, humility, write this down. Humility is trusting in God's timing, not your timing. Humility is trusting in God's timing not your timing. You know, last Sunday, we looked at Saul and how Saul couldn't wait for God's timing. He couldn't wait for God to do things his way. And in his time, so he took matters into his own hands. He did some stuff that he should not have done. And he did it in his way and his time. And because of that, he lost the kingship forever. And see, not David. David's a little different. David thought to himself, you know what? If I'm going to be king, I need to do this God's way. I need to wait on God's time. You know, David He could have very arrogantly, when he was called to Saul to be a lounge musician for him, David could have easily said, you know what, Saul, I'm not serving you. You serve me. I'm your replacement. I'm your successor. You know, you should be kissing my royal feet right now. You should be playing the harp for me. But no, he didn't do that. Instead, David recognized that for as long as Saul was alive, that David was still subject to Saul's authority. And so David would still do his best to serve his leader, even though he's the anointed one now. And see, that's one of the big principles of the Bible is that before God will give you authority of your own is that he first waits to see how do you do under someone else's authority? How do you serve under someone else's authority? Are you constantly complaining and bickering and accusing and doing all this? Or are you doing your best to have a humble heart that serves? See, God watches to see, are you willing to lay aside your own agenda to serve someone else and to serve God in that process. See, you may all, oh, but JB, you don't know my boss or you don't know my, my team leader, or you don't know my small group leader, or you don't know my pastor. JB It's like, he just, just didn't get it. He's so difficult to work with. He doesn't appreciate what we're trying to say to him. He's you know, unfair. You know, he's un- he's, you know, he's all this. He's this, he's that. You don't know my boss. Well, guess what? You don't know David's boss. You know, David's boss. When David entered Saul's service, David was entering the service of a king who was deeply insecure, who was highly unstable, who was violent from time to time, who was jealous of David, even tried to kill David at different points. Do you go to work every day fearing that your boss is going to thrust a spear through your side? Not just figuratively, but literally. David was going through that. He learned to serve under the authority and agenda of an imperfect leader. Oh, but Jabe, you don't understand. You know what? I don't have any boss, but God alone. I just serve God. Well, guess what? If that's how you think, you're missing a big principle from the Bible, which is that to test our humility, God places us under the authority of imperfect, fallible human leaders to see if notwithstanding their imperfections, we will still do the right thing and be humble. See, that's what David did. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, the moment his life was in danger, he knew he had to leave. And so I'm telling you, you know, I'm not saying that you know, no matter whatever happens to you in your workplace, no matter how abusive you are, just stay there and just put up with it. I'm not saying that. But this is about David trusting in God's timing over his own. It would take approximately 15 years for David to become the actual king of Israel. He was anointed, and then 15 years later, roughly, is when he would become king. 15 years. Could you wait 15 years for whatever it is you're praying for right now? See, David waited, and in the 15 years, he would experience some incredible hardships, some incredible frustrations while waiting. But as we learn from David's life and as we learn from Jesus' life, sometimes you need to go down before you can go up. And that's what happened with David is that through all the ups and downs of David's life, David would learn some really valuable lessons and he would grow some important spiritual and character muscles that he needed when he became king. Eventually, he could look back at all of that he went through, the 15 years of waiting, the 15 years of training, the 15 years of going up and down and saying, God had a better plan than mine. God had a better way than my way and God had a better time than my time. If you believe that, say amen. amen. See, that's a major aspect of humility. Trust God's timing, not your timing. Trust God's way, not your way. See, 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. It says, Humble yourselves before the Lord under his mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, how about you? How about you? Do you trust God's timing? Or are you really more into your timing? This is, you know, often what we usually do, is that we make our plans without consulting God. We say, I want to do this and that. I plan this, I plan that. We don't talk to God about it. We don't ask what God thinks. We just do our thing. We plan it. And then we pray and say, God, would you bless my plans? And then when things don't happen the way we want and the way we plan and not in our timing, we turn around, we blame God and go, God, it's all your fault. That's called pride. And see, part of humility is recognizing that we are not God. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about learning to surrender our plans. Yes, we plan. Yes, we work hard. But at the same time, we surrender it all to God, saying, God, it's not all my control. It's all about you. I'll let you do it in your way, in your time. You know, when Pastor Charlene and I, when we were dating many, many years ago, we would write these letters to one another in a journal. Back then, there was no Skype. There was no FaceTime. And so we had this journal that we would write letters to and I would send it to Charlene in whatever city she was in because we're doing a lot of long distance and so I'd send it from Vancouver to Boston and, and sometimes she'd send it from New York to Toronto just learning of where we were in the world and now instead of kind of standing across the border nowadays we just pass it across the bed because we still write in that journal today but I gotta tell you this is that if you open that journal you go to the very back cover uh, there's a little post-it note on the back cover the inside back cover and it says the plan and this is basically our plan back in 2001 for the next 10 years of our lives. Do you wanna see a bit of the plan? Let me show you a bit of the plan. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it looks like this. From 2002 to 2004, Charlene will work in New York while JB does his master's degree in law. That's the plan, everyone say, that's the plan. And then 2004 to 2005, Charlene is back in Vancouver planning our wedding. We're gonna get married in July 2005. I wanna say, that's the plan. That's the plan. Then 2005, 2007, JB and Charlene are living in Vancouver. Everyone say, that's the plan. And then July 2007, J.B. and Charlene are planting a church, part of the plan. And then 2009, J.B. and Char start a family and call their first son, David. All right? We like the name David. We, I like David. You know, any, anyways, that was the plan. What actually happened? Let's show you what actually happened. See, 2002, 2004, we were supposed to have Charlene working in New York, and JB's doing his master's degree in law. What actually happened? Charlene quits her job in New York in 2002. And JB never applies for his master's degree in law. 2004 to 2005, Charlene's supposed to be back in Vancouver planning the wedding. We got married in July 25, 2005. That's the plan. What actually happened? We got married in 2003. How did that happen? How did that happen? All right. And in 2005, 2007, J.B. and Charlene are supposed to be living in Vancouver. That's the plan. But what actually happened? J.B. and Charlene moved to Taiwan, and we lived there for four years. All right? And then in July 2007, the plan is J.B. and Char are planting a church. Well, this is kind of interesting. Well, in August of 2007, Torch Church commissions J.B. and Char to plant Thrive Church in Vancouver. And then 2009... JB and Shar start a family and call their first son, David. That was the plan. Well, what actually happened is in 2012, that's when JB and Shar started a family and they called their first son, Bradley. Praise God for that. All right. And see, why do I mention all that? It's to show you that you can't figure everything out beforehand. You can't. No matter how good of a planner you are, there are so many things that you can't control. Except for planting a church in 2007, everything else turned out differently than how we planned. Does that mean I'll forget about planning? No, you still plan, you still do your best with us in your control, but you also surrender to God knowing that God is bigger and God is the one who's in control. And God, he allowed a bunch of things that we could have never planned to affect our lives. Devastating things that we would never hope on anybody amazing, wonderful things that we never expected. These things that would change the course of our lives. People that we met that we never thought we would meet, which would change the course of our lives. And as a result, we can look back and say, God's timing was better than our timing. And God's plan was better than our plan. And God's way was better than our way. It's because God always has a better plan. Oh, come on. If you believe that, would you give God your praise? Amen. That's why Ecclesiastes 3:11 says it this way. It says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time." Question for you today as we get ready to close. What is one area of your life today where you need to trust God's timing, not your timing? What is one area of your life today where rather than trying to figure it out all on your own right now, that maybe the thing to do is simply to say, God, I'm not going to worry about the stuff that's out of my control. I'm just going to do what David did. I'm going to do the best with what's in my control. And trust you that the other stuff, you're going to figure out. You're going to work it out for good. You know, maybe say you're really stressed about your future, maybe about your career or about your financial situation. Maybe you're really frustrated about things in a relationship right now or you're wondering like, when I'm going to finally meet that one person or, you know, you, you, you kind of, you'll get worried about that. Maybe it's like you did your best in a certain area and things didn't go as planned. Can I tell you this today? You don't have to have it all figured out because God is in control. Just do your best with what's in your control. Take the best step of faith forward that you can, and you can be sure that Jesus, who loves you and cares even more about your future than even you do, that he will lead the way for your good and for his glory. Oh, come on. Give God your praise in this place together right now. Can we all stand to our feet right now? Why don't you read one last verse with me? It's Romans eight twenty-eight. It says this, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Instead of worrying about tomorrow, trust Jesus that he's gonna make all things beautiful in his time and in his way. You know, what is humility? Humility is trusting in God's timing, not your timing. Humility is living to glorify God's name, not your name. Humility is putting your hope in God's power, not your power. And with that in mind, I just want to give everyone here a chance to respond to God. Maybe you're here and you're new to church or maybe this is the first time you hear that God loves you or maybe you've been in church before but you've never taken the step of praying a prayer to open your heart to Jesus and ask him for the one thing that we could not get ourselves. It's God's forgiveness. It's God's peace when Jesus died on the cross. And we want to give you an opportunity to have that today with every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, if you realize today that you need God's forgiveness, that you're a sinner who's separated from God but that you want to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to be that bridge back to God, to be the one who makes forgiveness possible and peace with God possible and a relationship with God possible. Then we want to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer. And I want to encourage you right now, if you want to pray that prayer, it's very, very simple. Why don't you just lift up your hand to God right now? Let the height of your hand reflect how much you need him today. Don't worry about your neighbor. It's not about them. is between you and God right now. And this is just our humble, honest way of coming before God and saying, God, I need you in my life. Life. Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you just pray this with me? If you are here and you're online, you can click the, 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 the link in your chat room, and those of you on site, maybe a team member, might give you a little card with that prayer that we're gonna pray, uh, and we're just gonna do this together right now. Click that link, get that card, or maybe you don't have either, but you can still pray this with me. Let's all pray this in support of those praying it for the first time, and say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, thank you, thank you, that, because you love me, that because you love me, you died on the cross, on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose, again you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart. I ask you, yes, I ask please, you. Forgive please forgive of me all of sins. all my sins and fill me, and fill me with, your with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, I place my trust not, in what I do, not in what I do, but in what you've done, for, what me. You've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, then guess what? According to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a relationship with God, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We encourage you to take one more step. You took the first step, which is to believe in Jesus. I want you to take one more step, which is to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for me. I believe it. I receive it. If that's you, then you're ready to get baptized. For more info on baptism, go to mythought.info.com the baptism button we'd love to help you with that as well come give all of our friends who prayed that prayer just now
1: a hand and just give them some encouragement today praise god hello everyone welcome to thrive church my name is kathy and it's so great to be here with you guys today before i let you guys go i have a few announcements for you If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text new to 604-285-5770 or visit MyThartInfo and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Water Bottle. If you're on site at Lipon Place, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center by the exit door after service. Halloween is coming up, and Thrive will be hosting a fun and family-friendly event called Trunk or Treat next Sunday, October 30th from 3.30pm to 6.30pm right here in the parking lot of Lee Place. For those who are coming, please note that we only have limited parking spots available. Make sure you come early and find parking nearby. Also with an estimated 1,000 guests coming to this event, we want to encourage all Thrivers to get involved. We need 10 more decorated trunks, 50 more activity booths, 35 more volunteers, and more baked goods for our fundraising bake sale. If you want to join the fun and help us connect and share Jesus with our community, sign up to help today at Info. please. Last but not least, if you're looking for ways to grow in both your understanding and application of biblical truth, we have a class that's for you called Growing in Your Relationship with God that is starting this Tuesday. In just six weeks, you'll learn several keys to spiritual growth and how to be able to experience these keys at work in your life. To learn more, or to sign up, please visit Info. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythreader.info. Have an amazing Sunday afternoon and I'll see you all next week online or on site at Thrive. Bye!